Try to go on when you're gone. Though I try, how can I carry on? And welcome to the pick. We are your hosts, John Otney. Call Westman. Are, are you sure you're not the boss? <laughs> uh, but I'm Sean Lemmy. <laughs> How is this Pierce Brosnan singing SOS? How is the singing in this movie so bad? I think you were hitting so those notes too well. I was to too well. Brosnan. Do you guys yeah. think you, they could replace the three guys in this movie with the three of us and the singing would be better? Yeah, probably. I think it might be a little. I don't know. I don't think we'd <laughs> perform better, but I think the singing would be better. I just, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. <laughs> oh, definitely don't have the charm. But, like, how did they get so many people that can't... This is karaoke the movie. And the movie is Mamma Mia, mm-hmm. by the yeah, way. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> in honor of its 15th anniversary this summer. Open July. And the, f- the fifth anniversary of, uh, of its sequel. That's right. That's, that's interesting. Synchronicity there. Um, which we are, we'll also be discussing. I don't have as much on that one, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. It's, uh, some really w- interesting movies. <laughs> um, I don't regret watching them. No. And I look forward to digging into it. But first, I got to dig into my little pick. I'm going to go with a rockumentary in honor uh-huh. of the film. Mm. I watched... Fanny the Right to Rock about the band Fanny. Do you guys know this band? Colin, do no. you have you ever heard of the Fanny? It's an all mm. female rock band. Not really. No. Well then that's good this documentary says. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I only knew about them because a handful of years ago my good friend uh on YouTube, Algae Rhythm, started like <laughs> These, their videos of performances of Fanny started popping up in my feed. And I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. Wow, this band's good. How come I never heard of this band? And then like a year or two later, uh, they made a documentary about them. Uh, this 2021 documentary, uh, Fanny, all-girl band from the early 70s, uh, who totally got the shafts because none of us have ever heard of them. Uh, but they're really good. Uh, hard rock. Um most of them the movie is just kind of like a basic like here's how this band came about and here's how they fell apart and never got any recognition um but what's also cool about this documentary is it picks up with them now the remaining members that are still playing trying to record new music uh and still running getting screwed over in this case by tragedy which i won't uh spoil too much nobody like dies but there's some major setbacks um, but it's, it's kind of weird. Like why the, why did this band never take off and why did like the go-go's take off? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they just didn't know how to market them or the timing was bad. Um, 
one thing that comes up often in the documentary is like David Bowie was a huge like fan of this band. I think he even dated one of the members at one point. And he always said it was one of his regrets that he couldn't get like more people to notice them. And I'm sure if he was still alive, he probably would have been in this documentary because a lot of his former band members are in this documentary to talk about Fanny. Um, I rented it on YouTube. Uh, I think it's, I'm not sure where else you can watch it right now. I think there are some weird services that do have it, but it is worth checking out. (laughs) I always love a good documentary about a band that like, I don't know about or was overlooked a real underdog story. And, you know, they got the chops to, to back it up. I checked out their album, Fanny Hill. I think they have five albums. Uh, it's a good mix of, like, blues and rock, and they do some covers. They do a cool cover of Hey Bulldog. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you'd even just check out their YouTube videos, I'd recommend. It's fun. They're lead guitarist. Mm-hmm. She plays great slide guitar. Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, rock on. That's what I got. Yeah. Is it uh, directed by anyone we've heard of? Uh, I don't think no one I've heard of. It seemed like a pretty small little production. Yeah, how many documentaries are directed by people we know? Well, you know, every once in a while you get like, look, Cameron Crowe did a Pearl Jam documentary. It might not be someone like Wright did the Sparks movie. Yeah, or it could just be like, "Hey, this person it also happens. directed that other documentary you've heard of." Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking up the director. She's Canadian. Bobby nice. Joe Kraus. I don't know. I don't know any of her other works. Uh, this this movie should have got more atten- attention though. I really I did think that. So that's why I'm shouting it out, dude. Yeah. When did it come out? I was actually surprised it came out in 2021 because I remember hearing about it. Huh. Like, I can't wait to check that out. And here we are, like two years later. I don't know. Somehow I missed it. <laughs> I only found out about it because I read a recent article that's like, here's what's premiering on PBS this week. <laughs> and it was this documentary. And I don't have PBS, but then I looked to see that I could rent it right now mm-hmm. for like two bucks, which I did. Mm. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, okay, so I have a question since <laughs> we had talked a little bit about this at off bike after we recorded our last podcast. Did you guys listen to any ABBA albums? Uh, a little bit. As preparation. Okay. Voulez Vu. That was called? the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw a couple lists that were like, you gotta listen to this one. I'm like, if you say so. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah, I kind of went all in on on ABBA the last mm. like week or two <laughs> in preparation of the, for this. Well, not really even preparation, even just just because I actually like ABBA quite a bit, but I've never done a deep dive, and I did find their albums really easy to listen to. I mean, which is unsurprising. <laughs> they, they write songs that are very likable, very catchy, very straight to the point. And all their albums are kind of like that, you know, a half hour to 40 minutes of just really pristine 70s pop. Um, So I listened to a good, like, let's see, five, five ABBA albums. (laughs) 
um yeah so like they're all of their kind of late 70s stuff into the early 80s um and i liked pretty much all of them um i think the album i will recommend though just because a lot of its music is not going to come up is i'm going to recommend their very last album uh the visitors which came out in 1981 just because it's kind of unique (laughs) in terms of like compared to the rest of the ABBA catalog just because I, I don't know the I don't know if we'll talk about it much but the arc of the band very much reflected the relationships of the two married couples um, at the heart of ABBA and you you notice in their music in the last two albums they did uh, Super Trooper and also The Visitors the music gets a bit more melancholy, a bit more reflective of the fact that both the couples had broken up by the time that they recorded this last album. And the ma- the music's just like a little more sad, a little more downbeat. But at the same time, it has like that ABBA sheen to it. The songs are still pretty catchy, <laughs> even if uh, there's a slight like wistful quality to them. Um, and then by this album, The Visitors, they kind of moved away from doing like more disco type stuff. Um, I feel like one thing that's very apparent about ABBA is they, as the years kind of went on, they tried to keep incorporating new elements of like what was popular at the time. And listening to them in 1981, unsurprisingly, they're kind of doing more of a synth pop thing like a lot more synthesizers um and yeah not as much of the dancey rhythms as their late 70s stuff um and not not a lot of songs (laughs) that are like their biggest hits i think the only one that's actually in the first mamma mia is slipping through my fingers which is definitely a deep cut but also has become one of my favorite ABBA songs um, just upon kind of listening to more of their albums. Um, I guess One of Us was also the single, like the first single off the album. I think that one's in the sequel, uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. But otherwise, you know, (laughs) a good album to check out if you want something that's like a little bit different from the songs that you know of ABBA that would appear in these movies did you listen to voyage uh yeah i definitely listened to voyage i would say that that's the one that came out just a few years ago oh wait voyage no i didn't listen to voyage (laughs) i feel like people are like this is good when it just kind of came out of nowhere it's weird that they just did another album it is weird yeah because i feel like for a lot a long time they were saying like we're i think i listened to the first song (laughs) that was it i was like oh yeah this this sounds like abba (laughs) but maybe i'll check that out all right so your recommendation is abba's discography or was it specifically it's no no it's that i was recommending the visitors visitors uh, got the last album but um it was also interesting to me that one of the members at one point said like 
we basically were a studio band. <laughs> like we played less than a hundred shows the entire time we were together. Like really the music lived in the studio and that's <laughs> where it came alive. I guess it would be hard to produce that sound live. Though there was ABBA yeah. the movie, which was them like touring <laughs> Australia or something, right? Yeah. Mm. So I thought about watching that. Thought mm. about it. <laughs> thought long and hard. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you had a good think. Yeah. There. I'll get more into my opinions on ABBA's music uh, a little further in the podcast. Sure. Mm-hmm. First, I need to hear Sean's little pick. Guys, I am panic-stricken because all of pop culture happened between the last time we recorded and this time, and I don't know <laughs> what to talk about. Since we since we did the last podcast, Succession ended, Barry ended, Ted Lasso ended, uh, Spider-Man came out, Zelda came out. Um, I'm freaking out over here, uh, but I think I've got to <laughs> pick up where I left off last time, which was Boiler Room. We were talking about Vin Diesel, so I guess I gotta have a little pick for Fast X. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So I guess I don't know if I've ever told people my history with this franchise, this Fast and Furious franchise. I don't know. Go ahead. Um, it's it's weird how long it's been going, right? Because when this started, uh, you know, nine eleven hadn't happened yet. I was I had recently graduated from elementary school. <laughs> um, I mean, and everyone jokes they were stealing DVD players in the first the first Fast and Furious movie. Um, I didn't really pick up what they were putting down for those first few movies. I remember in two thousand three when Too Fast Too Furious came out, it everyone thought it looked dumb. Everyone made fun of it having, um, you know, the worst title to a movie that's maybe ever happened. Uh, besides, of course, Now You See Me 2, which is uh, <laughs> an God. abomination. So mad. Um, I, I remember um, some people saying Tokyo Drift was, like, kind of fun. And that was interesting to me just because, uh, you know, at that point in time, I was, like, taking Japanese classes uh, I was going to go to Japan a year after that movie came out for the first time. Uh, but I didn't see it until around the time Fast and Furious came out, the fourth movie. Um, and I did that because the trailer for Fast and Furious is an all-timer for me. One of the great trailers. Um, it, it opens with the the, the the robbery scene that starts that movie. Um, and they just make such a big deal of Paul Walker and Vin Diesel being back that I'm like, I like bought into it at that point. Uh, even though I didn't see that movie until uh, a few years later, I watched Tokyo Drift uh, in a hotel room <laughs> uh, in London and it was awesome. Uh, it was so dumb. I remember my big takeaway was uh, the oldest son from <laughs> Home Improvement has a small part at the beginning of the movie. It's like, what the fuck? He's in other things. Um, but, uh, I, I really liked Tokyo Drift, uh, kind of ironically, but also, uh, I, you know, you're seeing a kind of racing that I haven't seen anywhere else. And since then I haven't seen anywhere else. And it's 
you know, tied with this receding hairline 40-year-old man playing a high school kid, which is funny. <laughs> uh, then uh, the fourth one came out, and then finally when the fifth one came out, um, I had a, a roommate in college who was also intrigued with the series. So um, I think in a week we watched the first four movies and then saw Fast Five when it came out. Uh, and that was like one of the great weeks of my life. That was so fun <laughs> to like learn the story and then see this new movie that also had like a really good trailer. And that was really all that we knew going into it. Um, that it looked fun. Uh, but then like to watch all these movies and see it all pay off immediately, um, in the, in the first movie that really, uh, like makes this a good franchise, um, was really great. And so I've been like all in on fast and furious since then for for now more than a decade um i still think that it probably should have ended with the seventh movie um when paul walker died but they keep making them and i keep going and i like eight more now that i'm just kind of over the retcon aspects of it um I, I think they do some fucked up things, but they also have some pretty cool action scenes that you can enjoy. Um, and then F9, which it, it's also wild to me that we're on our second, po- like, since the pandemic started, Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long that we've gotten two of these since we've learned the phrase coronavirus. Um, yeah. well, but, I think it's also anyway, kind of because that ninth one was just lying around for <laughs> a year or two. Right, yeah, there was like a four, maybe five year gap between eight and nine, uh, thanks to mm-hmm. thanks to COVID, uh, and then there was like less than a two year gap between nine and <laughs> and now Fast X or Fast Ten. I don't think there's an official pronunciation. Uh, I said know. Fast Ten when I ordered my ticket at the box office. <laughs> what uh, did you say? Hell yeah! <laughs> I mean, I ordered it on an app, so I didn't say it to anyone. Um, but i like fast 10 because uh i think i think since probably fast and furious uh maybe as far back as too fast and furious people have making jokes that about like what the names for the sequels could be and they actually did pay off one of them uh because uh the fate of the furious f8 fate was was something people were really looking forward to <laughs> and uh for for 10 people were saying um fast 10 your seat belts would be the would be the uh the title and that would have yeah, been funny but... but i think that's a little too self-referential a little too yeah. on the nose They're, they can't um, be that clever they can only be like almost clever <laughs> By the way, just side note here. If we're talking about mm. the titles of these movies, have you ever heard the Japanese titles of the Fast and Furious mm. movies? No. I feel like I did once, but remind me. So, in Japan, this franchise is known as Wild Speed. Ah. And they come up with a, a unique Japanese subtitle for every single one of these. So, it's Wild Speed, Wild Speed X2, Wild Speed X3 Tokyo Drift, Wild Speed Max which is Fast and Furious, followed by Wild Speed Mega Max, uh, Wild Speed Euro Mission, Sky Mission, Ice Break, Super Combo, which is Hobbs and Shaw, 
Jet Break was F9, and then this latest one is called Fire Boost. <laughs> wow. <laughs> cool. So cool. weirdly consistent, fun titling in Japanese. What are these posters? Oh. I gotta see these posters are that much different. Probably They're not. probably pretty good. Um but uh <laughs> it says fire boost. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. They, like Fast and Furious has had this problem though since seven that it was a franchise with two guys and one of the guys in real life died. And they made a very tasteful decision to not rewrite that seventh movie so that Brian dies like Paul Walker did in real life. Instead, they um, used whatever footage they had. They used Paul Walker's brother to finish that movie and give a very emotionally satisfying and like just shockingly tasteful send off <laughs> to that to this character, um, which has led to this problem that like he's alive but doesn't help the team but more but that's within the fiction outside of the fiction it has this problem that Vin Diesel has taken over um the story with Fast X begins in production with uh Justin Lin who directed Tokyo Drift Fast and Furious Fast 5 6 uh, and nine, um, I think only working on the movie for a couple days before he quits. Um, and the rumor is that's because uh, Vin Diesel has shown up like out of shape and belligerent and insisting on changing things, uh, and and Justin Lin just can't handle it. And that's also kind of the rumor for James Wan not coming back. That's how we got F. Gary Gray to direct. Uh, eight. Um, and so this movie begins with it um, immediately shutting down and then um, them finding the transporter director, Louis Leterrier, to come in and direct Fast 10. Uh, and I mean, who knows if he even really directed. It could. <laughs> it might as well be Vin Diesel directing, as far as I know. If he has that much control... That Justin Lin, who had signed on to direct like three Fast and Furious movies, has to like quits. Um, and Vin Diesel, I don't know, man. <laughs> like he's been doing this. He's been doing this since before I was a teenager. My entire adult life, he's been playing this role. Um, I get his attachment to it. Um. But there's, like, I don't know. He's got so much ego. I think he's a little too into, like, how important these movies are. Um, and, and, and I worry that that is negatively affecting things. And I think it's also affecting the other cast. Because there's a looseness to Fast 10 that I don't think the others have. Where it feels like everyone is improvising all the time and they're doing it terribly uh it, this has like some of the worst jokes you'll ever see in a movie to the point where some of them i just don't understand 
Um, there is a bit where uh, Roman, the character played by Tyrese, throws powder in the air, and I have no idea what the joke is. Like, I don't oh, know like why LeBron he had... James. I don't know why he had powder in his pocket. How is that like LeBron James? Explain that. He does that. for a game. He throws powder in the air? Yeah, and then claps. Well, it's chalk. Okay. You know. Well, Tyrese does not clap, and he's not starting a game. He's trying to win an argument. Oh. It's not really explained, you know, where, yeah, the, pow- really where the powder comes from or what it's supposed to be, even. It's... I don't know. It, and I think one of the other pillars that the franchise had to rely on was a commitment to doing not necessarily grounded stunts, but to do whatever crazy thing they're doing as practically as they could. <laughs> I mean, not, not to like a Mission Impossible level of commitment, but, you know, in Fast Five, they drive a bank vault around Rio and they really had two cars driving around a thing that looked like a bank vault, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And the big action sequence in Fast 10, both at the beginning and the end, to me, felt like I was watching CG explosions and CG cars and a CG other thing. I should say, the, 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 the opening action sequence is probably the best one because it reminds me a lot of uh, Rocket League. They're driving around with this big bomb ball that they're kind of bumping with their cars. It's pretty cool. Um, All that said, the movie does have one strength, which is Jason Momoa as uh, Dante, our new villain. Uh, He's giving a great performance. It also feels fairly improvised. Um, But, I mean, first of all, He's so hot. He's wearing so many costumes that I wish I could dress like in real life. Um, but also he's bringing a sort of like <laughs> feminine energy. Uh, there's, he's he's not not a not a fancy boy, but he's you know he paints his nails and stuff. Uh, he's rich, um, and 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 it, it works because every every other person in this entire franchise is the most macho person they could possibly be. Um, including the women, including like new characters they add in t- to this one, including that guy who plays Jack Reacher in the new Jack Reacher show, who's just the biggest <laughs> boy on the planet. Um, so that's really great, but it also kind of bums me out because, like, this is their this is supposed to be their Infinity War. This this is supposed to be they're doing the last two Fast and Furious movies to wrap up the franchise, and. They've been setting up um, Charlize Theron as their Thanos. Like, she's been in the last two movies as a villain. And instead of delivering on that, they sort of sideline her and maybe are setting up her redemption, which feels extremely wrong. Like, it already felt bad in Fate of the Furious when we did it with... with uh, Deckard Shaw, the Jason Statham character, because he killed Han, but they later were like, Han's actually alive, so you, you can sort of forgive him, because he didn't really kill any members of the team. Um, Charlize Theron, in her first movie, takes uh, Vin Diesel's baby mama and his baby, puts him in a cage, and then shoots her in the head. Like, <laughs> I don't, th- you can't, 
they're not going to be friends. He's not going to invite her to a cookout, right? Like, <laughs> she's a monster. <laughs> and I don't want it. And and other characters are coming back from the dead as well. This the series has done that many times. Like. <laughs> Too many times people have come back from the dead. The the people that are coming back now are really hard to understand how they're coming back. Uh, there's a cameo with Dwayne Johnson at the end of the movie that I think he shot one shot of because the, uh, the guy that he is does not look as jacked as, Vin D- as uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson is, <laughs> except for when he takes his mask off. So I, I really think they shot a whole scene with just a stunt man in a mask and then got Dwayne Johnson for 10 minutes probably because Black Adam failed because I'll just spoil the other person comes back is Giselle who's Gal Gadot so we have two people who I think we're banking a lot of their future on the DC universe that are now not going to be in the DC universe <laughs> coming back home um, is Zachary so- Levi going to be in the next one also? <laughs> I mean I get. I mean, they they always. It feels like they always need to add another token white guy, yeah. but they could just bring back Scott Eastwood. He's not dead. He's back in this one. Yeah, but they they put him. So, <laughs> okay. So one of the things is they set up, uh, Kurt Russell as the head of quote unquote the agency, and he's called mm-hmm. Mister Nobody, and I thought that that was always just like because they don't want to explain what he's part of. Because it's more cool if it's it's a secret. But then in a sequel, they're like, "Well, Scotty Eastwood, he's like little nobody," and so it's like, "Okay, well, this is getting a little <laughs> weird." And then in this one, they reveal that the agency is literally just called the agency. It's run exactly like Shield from the Marvel movies, including having a room of like screens with heads, uh, like the Council and Venture Brothers. Like, what the hell is this? And they also introduced that Kurt Russell has a daughter played by Brie Larson, and she's Miss Nobody. We have three Nobody characters now. It's I don't know. It's 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 dumb, and that sort of thing would be more fun if the if the movie, I think, was better. But this one, I th- I think it really just lives on on Jason Momoa's performance. Uh, I I don't think. The action scenes were as good. Uh, I don't think what they're doing with the returning characters is particularly effective. Um, and as a as a you know a part one of a two or three part finale, it really didn't feel to me like they were setting up an end of the road for anything. Like it it, it felt like just a, another adventure that was going on. Now that's possibly because when the characters die. I just don't take it seriously anymore because they all come back. Um, and, and really only one person is even possibly dead in this one. And, and even that I doubt. So in conclusion, fast 10. Okay. But I think the more you care about it, the worse it seems, which is not the way these are supposed to be. Wow. Wow. And this has been our Fast X episode. Yep. That was a big pick. It was a big, the biggest pick. Sean has picked Fire Boost. Fire Boost. <laughs> <laughs> I need that poster now. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't even need to see the movie. I just need the poster. <laughs> I, very prominent um, Jason Statham. He's in the movie for like two minutes. <laughs> He's a big name. People know him. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to come back. When's Cole, when's Cole Hauser coming back? Remember, he's the bad guy in the second one. I I think that's I a really remember. good question because there's also <laughs> he's, you know <laughs> Cole Hauser, one of the bullies from Days and Confused. He's on like Yellowstone now. He's in Pitch Black. I'm kind of surprised he actually has it. Okay. He's like an orange-haired guy. Ring any bells? Hmm. Think of the orange guy with the curly orange hair. Days confused. That's Cole Hauser. Yeah, no, I remember that character from that movie. He's a rich douchebag in Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you tell me you don't watch it every week, Cole. <laughs> Yellowstone. I only He's watch on it every. No, week. I mean you don't watch Too Fast, Too Furious every week. <laughs> Uh no, I've I've only seen that one once. When was the last time Eva gonna... Mendez was in one of these? That's what I was gonna say. Eva Mendez is is the one that I don't understand why they didn't bring her. I guess because she's way more attached to Brian's story than mm-hmm. to Dom's. Um, but oh God, it is such a problem that Brian is alive in that universe. <laughs> It makes it so weird, and I feel bad for uh, for Mia because she d- can't have a role in the movies that makes sense. But none of it makes sense anymore. You know, it's supposed to be. People say, "Well, they're respecting Paul Walker's memory by not killing the character," but I also feel like it kind of disrespects the memory of the character for him to never help out when everyone's life is on the line. He's mm. got to take care of the family so that his wife can take care of. Vin Diesel's kid, right? <laughs> yeah, but only briefly. She just shows up. She shows up mainly to play Makes the sense. Hot Wheels video game with Vin Diesel's mm-hmm. son. Who isn't his? Isn't his name Brian? His name is Brian. Named after Will- his alive friend. Yeah. Well, in his, they go into, they go into Vin Diesel's like garage with Rita Moreno, and he has like a memorial. <laughs> set up to brian in there <laughs> like uh, can, can you imagine how weird it would be if i just had like a shrine to colin in in my garage that i came and lit a candle at even though he's just alive in a different place it's i mean so i do have weird. i do have that like little poster of you as a t-ball <laughs> player on the cover of a fake sports magazine but only because it's funny but I bet some people come over and think that you're a kid who died. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, just rapid fire, uh, success, mm-hmm. since I think this is the end of the season. Succession was good. Barry was good. Ted Lasso, I liked. I understand why people don't like it. Zelda is game of the year. Uh, Spider-Man fucking rules. Probably the best movie of the year. Yeah, I'm like catching up with all of those. <laughs> Barry's the only one I've finished. Uh, all right, there you go. Here we go. Here we go. Because um, we have two movies to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mamma Mia. Yes. I actually didn't do any research on ABBA. 
I'll ask. I'll start this. <laughs> wow. But it sounds like Colin's our resident expert. I already know yeah, that you apparently. like ABBA, Colin. Sean, do yeah. you like ABBA, or do you have a take or opinion? Or my thing is, I like these songs. <laughs> um, I after this movie, probably for a week, I listened to like the uh, like you know ABBA Essentials or whatever. You know, they have one of those like really long playlists. For like all the hits, like forty yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah. It's like probably the soundtrack <laughs> of these two movies and like three other songs. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a good time. I think my my thing with ABBA is outside of a few songs, like the really biggest ones, like Dancing Queen, uh, probably Take a Chance. I don't like it's it's really weird that i like their music but i don't really feel a desire to like seek it out i i can't explain why i guess they just don't really fit in with the vibe of the music i'm listening to most of the time um so i i hate to say that i'm like lukewarm on abba but i guess that's kind of where where i'm at but i do (laughs) really enjoy a lot of their songs I think I'm on the same page. They're never a band to really listen to. I like the hits. Honestly, my two favorite things associated with ABBA are the two times that ABBA songs have been featured on Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> There's the time where, if you guys remember when they Dewey and his babysitter, who was B. Arthur, danced to Fernando. You guys might have still been watching. That was like season two. I probably yeah, was watching it, probably. but I mean... Yeah. That's probably when, like, Too Fast, Too Furious came out. That's so long ago. It's a good season. And then there's a, a, a much later episode, the, that season where Hayden Pantier was, like, kind of on the show. She, like, sort of lived with them and was off and on on episodes. And there's an episode where she tries to uh, convince each brother that the other one is gay. And so they're trying to be, like, really supportive because they each think the other one is gay, and then they all go to see Mamma Mia the musical, and they come back, and Lois puts on uh, the soundtrack, and Take a Chance starts playing, and Malcolm and Reese start lip-syncing to it and get really into it, and that's a great <laughs> scene. So that's that's uh, yeah, that's what I that's what I like Abba for. They're Malcolm in the Middle appearances. <laughs> I didn't even know until you mentioned it to me, Sean, like a couple weeks ago, that they won Eurovision. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't know that was their kind of claim to fame, at least as this group. It sounds like they're active in the music scene before they became Abba. I guess I just don't know anything about Eurovision. I was just uh, while you're talking about Fire Boost, I was looking at some of the other Eurovision winners. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't know Celine Dion won Eurovision in the '80s. Mm. Found that interesting. Most of the other artists are ones I'm super familiar with. So Abba's probably. I mean, they gotta be. I mean, is Canada allowed in Eurovision? No, Celine Dion on like I don't even know how this is, like makes sense. Like ran under like Switzerland. What? Yeah, can you do that? Can you like, can can I be on the Olympic team of another country? I don't. I mean, I don't know any of the rules. I don't really know anything about Eurovision. Sounds sketchy to me. It sounds super sketchy, but she won. Actually, I guess that makes it even sketchier that she must have ties to Switzerland, right? I don't. I don't know. That's a great point, though. One of the probably the most famous Canadian recording artists of all time won something called Eurovision in 1988. 
Um, doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. We're going to get to the bottom of this in our next episode. <laughs> uh, but we got to talk about Mamma Mia. I didn't do any background on ABBA, but I did some background on the musical. Um, so the musical came from theater producer Judy Kramer, who knew Benny and Bjorn, the bees from ABBA, because uh, they did uh, music for a musical in the 80s, Tim Rice's Chess. Uh, I should have looked up what that musical is about, because that name is not selling me on that musical. <laughs> um, so she's like, oh, those guys, they did great music that one time. So and then in the 90s, she reached out to them and proposed, hey, let's do an, uh, an ABBA jukebox musical, which they reportedly were not enthusiastic about, but not entirely <laughs> opposed to. <laughs> wow, what a great story. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I guess. So in 1997, Kramer hired uh, playwright Catherine Johnson to write the book. And then Whoa. In nine, yeah. Catherine Johnson? From Johnson. Hidden Figures? Johnson. Oh, damn. Sorry to get your hopes up, Sean. <laughs> I feel, wouldn't that be great, like, if at the end of Hidden Figures, when, you know, it has the text of, like, what they went on to do, that's, like, went to war, right? Mamma Mia. <laughs> Like what? Uh, Catherine Johnston wrote the book, and in '98, Flidia Lloyd became the director of the musical, and it premiered on the West End in April 1999. Um, fun fact that I found out about this musical, though, is the plot mm-hmm. um, is kind of like stolen from like another musical, or no, from a film. Really? So let's see. Uh, similar plot to 1968 film Biona Sarah Mrs. Campbell. Previously adapted as the 1979 musical Carmelina, which is also about a woman who does not know which of the three men is the father of her daughter. Um, yeah, huh. so. Controversy. Uh, critic John Simon speculated that Mamma Mia is set in Greece and not Italy, which might have fit in better with the musical's title in order to make the connection less obvious. <laughs> but Catherine Johnston has denied this. But it's awfully it's it's quite the coincidence. I find that pretty funny. Why is it set in Greece? Because it's strange. Of what I just said, if it was in Italy, they'd get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just an exotic location. It's a fun place for a hotel. It, I mean, I feel like it's got to be somewhere in Europe, right? It's not, it's not like you can mm. set this in Hawaii. Or, well, yeah, and I guess I guess they're not going to set it in Sweden either. Or, like, any island with, like, weird, like, colonial ties, I would also feel like it'd be a bad move. I think Greek makes sense. Mm -hmm. Plus, Tom Hanks' Playtone produced this movie. Tom Hanks loves Greece. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe they just, years ago, made that decision in hopes that someday Tom Hanks would produce a film version (laughs) of it. (laughs) Foresight. I actually don't, couldn't figure out why specifically like 2008 was like okay now let's do the film version uh but you know it happened (laughs) they brought back the original uh musical director and katherine johnston did the script uh opened july 18th 2008 uh same day as the dark knight (laughs) i I believe they call that counter programming right that's genius yeah uh, though it, it did uh, sadly it did not beat Dark Knight at that opening weekend, guys. Mm. Uh, Mamiya opened to twenty seven million, but Dark Knight 
just squeaked by with 158 million. <laughs> but I, I wonder yeah. if it's gonna be the same with Barbie Oppenheimer. Mm. I wonder if we're walking into the same trap. No clue. That's very interesting. Did you hear Tom Cruise complaining recently that Oppenheimer needs to be moved? <laughs> because uh, that it's going to take up all the IMAX screens, so that Mission Impossible won't have that long of a run in IMAX. Oh. So he's pretty pissed off about it. <laughs> he must Why be so pissed after he gave Nolan's last movie praise, too. <coughs> Loved it. Enemies. Loved it. And now he's got to deal with this shit. Hate it. Maybe he'll, like, sneak in and he'll steal the copy of the film. Like in the first Mission Impossible of all the lasers. <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, but Mamma Mia had legs. It earned uh, $611 million, which made it the fifth highest grossing movie of 2008. Uh, just above Madagascar 2 and just below <laughs> Hancock. <laughs> Wow, Hancock did good. One of the greatest mysteries of life. Why was Hancock such a hit? I feel like it had a good trailer. It looked like it was going to be fun. It was a funny trailer. Did that? Did Hancock make more money than the Iron Man? Iron Man? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't have. Mate. I don't have the 2008 box office up, but I could pull it up real quick here. Iron Man's. Mm, I bet it's. The low, the low end of the top ten, honestly. Wow. Yeah, Iron Man was okay. I'll I'll run it, run it real quick. Dark Knight one, Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull two, Kung wow. Fu Panda, Hancock, Mamma Mia, Madagascar two, Quantum of Solace, Iron Man, Wally, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. <laughs> Prince Caspian. <laughs> a top ten, hit, a movie that does not exist. It's a big hit. Killed the franchise. But I mean, Mamma Mia okay. being among these films that are mostly adventure superhero animated like having a musical in the top five that's pretty amazing uh and and we're gonna talk about this amazing film did you did you did you see the thing about meryl streep what what's about, about meryl streep about why she loved the musical oh no go ahead I'm just quoting Wikipedia here. I might I have seen this. Yeah, right. Go ahead. <laughs> Apparently, Meryl Streep loved the musical because she saw it right after 9-11, and it gave her hope again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because it started... It probably didn't make its way over to the States till around 2000 or so. So it was. It would have been pretty new back then, 2001. Oh, well, I'm glad that it restored people's faith in humanity and love. <laughs> and put a song in their hearts. So the movie opens with uh, Amanda Seyfried as Sophie, the one person yeah. in the movie you can actually sing. I don't know if you guys want to argue that anyone else in this movie you think is a good singer or that you like. Do you say could or should? Could. Okay. Everyone, everyone should. Everyone should. <laughs> that is my stance as well. This is, this is karaoke the movie. I think that's one of the yes. most charming things about it. This is like a bunch of like drunk parents at a party. But they made a movie about it. Um, yeah, in the first movie, for sure, she's uh, at least out of the main cast. Yeah, by far the MVP. I think the second one has some contenders. But she's singing "I Have a Dream" from Voulez Vu, the best ABBA album according to lists that I found. 
Okay. And solid. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I'm just saying list that I found. <laughs> I just a, a, a rival feels a little. More it's not. It's not like me. I listened to that and now I'm like I fucking love this album. All the other Alpha albums suck. Yeah, I, don't I don't even know. care that I, li- I just listened to it and like okay, it's pretty good. I guess it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, well, take it up with the internet, I guess. All right. I don't care. I'll, I'll file my complaints with the internet. <laughs> uh, she's sending out letters to the three men who might be her father. Uh, it's a real father yeah. figures dilemma. Uh, yep. Movie father figures, classic. Future pick. Um, and she found out about these men from reading, I guess, what is essentially her mom's bang book. I don't know what you want to call it. I guess if you want to put it really crass like that, John. I mean... <laughs> I'd just go with diary. Diary, yeah, but it's going into, like, here's three guys that I banged at this time. And then I gave birth. And she's like, oh, these three, these must be the yeah. three guys. One of them must be my father. Uh, so she decides to write I, this letter. Yeah. I do think it, they have to sort of deal with this as a problem in the second movie where it sounds like Donna did not really date a lot before that summer and didn't date at all after that summer (laughs) Um, which I mean maybe they're overcorrecting for for potential slut shaming I don't know it it does seem really weird that uh, she has like three great experiences with three great guys and then she's like I'm done with men um, makes it more romantic and tragic in that way. Oh it's yeah! Oh, I forgot that that Pierce Brosnan comes off as a bad guy at the time. So um, that's true. So basically, Sophie is gonna invite these guys to the wedding, posing as her mother in the letters. Well, classic move. Get these three hunks out there, and there's Sam Pierce Brosnan, who is listed on. And I saw this in the movie, too. His passport is an American passport. Oh. So is he supposed to be? I, I think it says on Wikipedia Irish-American, but he has an American passport. That's all I'll say. I, can, I was confused by that flashing on the screen. They show their passports. Mm. Uh, he's an American, quotations, architect. There's Bill, Stellan Skarsgård, a Swedish sailor and travel yep. writer. I had to have someone Swedish in the movie. And then there's Harry, Harry Headbanger, Colin Firth, a British banker. Is that great montage yeah. of them all trying to rush to get to this wedding in time? Okay, let's rank these guys based on their singing ability. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the best? Okay. If we're talking about memorability, I mean, you, you did SOS at the start of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan made an impact. Yeah. I think this is easy. Now, they also, in the second movie, were like, Pierce, we're just going to let you hum a little in this one, and we'll let you join in choruses. Okay, well, I mean, I think, I mean, Paris is easily the worst. Obviously, he's most memorable, easily the worst. I feel like Stellan Skarsgård does not make a huge impact for me. I think Colin no. Firth is the best, even though he sounds like the fucking Velveteen Rabbit or something. <laughs> sounds like an injured mouse. 
I, oh, he sounds like Paddington. That's the that's it. Well, what am I thinking? I I also noticed. I don't know if you guys noticed it. There's a part where he's playing guitar, and I was like, his fingering looks correct. And then I looked it up. Conforth <gasps> does play guitar. Hell yeah, this guy rocks. Yeah, he's Harry Headbanger, yeah. man. He knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the def- my definitive ranking. Uh, so Sophie mm-hmm. is inviting these guys. Is this a? Uh, do you guys like this plan? Is this plan charming or is this plan creepy? Um, well, okay. But, I mean, we're in the heightened reality of a musical, so yeah. I think it's it's fun. Okay, I wouldn't encourage doing this in real life. Um, I think there's a beautiful naivete in Sophie being like, the three will show up, and I'll just know instantly which one of them is my dad. Um, and I like that the way that they handle that is she likes all three of them and then at the end of the movie all three of them are her dad real my um, three dads no three men and a baby so I'm 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 for it yeah I think so it's creepy but funny feels uh, like a very signature like Tom Hanks produced movie oh yeah plot thing to have like very little conflict <laughs> like everything's just fine really uh, it's a vacation um, movie yeah this is a movie and you watch on a cruise ship mm-hmm. there's a, she has a little bit of turmoil with Sky and Donna doesn't quite like the plan the stakes couldn't be higher <laughs> oh, that's right. So Sky, oh, yeah. Let's get into this. So Donna Merrill Street runs this rundown hotel, the Via Donna, or Villa Donna, um, in a, a fictional island in Greece. Calo is it already Kyrie. called that? She had already named it after herself. That's yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's struggling for some reason. It's beautiful. It's I'm so apart. surprised. Uh, yeah, it is a it is a dump. That's true. Um, but they and are... also there's only one boat to the island. <laughs> there's a one day. boat. That's true. I guess it's it's hard to get to and it's fucking dump. That those are good enough reasons. But Sophie's fiance, Sky Dominic Cooper, uh, wants to save the hotel by making a website. <laughs> At this point, I, mean... I was wondering, what year is this movie set in? Is this right. set in two thousand eight or is it, I think it's got to be set earlier, right? It must be when the musical was written, right? It must. Be That's like what I think 90s, because the second one. The flashbacks take place in 79, right? Like, I think yeah, so. And she's, and she's 20. She's, there's that line. I, I always hear that clip, uh, that voice, audio clip in, like, TikToks and, like, Instagram reels of, like, how old are you? I'm 20. <sighs> I hear that all the time. And then when I finally watched this movie, I was like, wow, this is what that's from. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it is. This is 1999, so a concept of a website. Mm-hmm. That that makes that make more sense because when I was watching it at first, I was like, they're acting like, like yeah, no shit you should have a website if you're trying to <laughs> run a fucking business. <laughs> but if it's hotel. 1999, I feel like it's way more excusable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just like quintessential, like we need a <laughs> – young person to try to help an old person plot idea of like oh he'll make them a website like it doesn't get simple it's like yep that makes sense i can accept it it's it's easy it works for me right uh what what i was shocked by was that that was dominic cooper 
because uh, he does not look like himself in this <laughs> or in in the sequel. Mommy, here we go again. He has a unique look, like that he does not normally have. Because I'm so used to him being like the preacher and Howard Stark being like the squirrely little dude, and here he looks. You know, looks like a member of One Beautiful. Direction or something. Yeah, <laughs> it is weird. Yeah, I guess he can sing kind of, but I find his singing very uninspiring. Well, it, he's just got the disadvantage that no one cares about Sky. Yeah. yeah, I guess he's got more meat in the second one. In this one, it's like we we're, we're focused on on Donna and the dudes. And to a Which lesser is, extent, the dynamos. But also, that's weird, John, because in this one, he's on the island. In the second one, he's in New York City in for York. most of the movie. True. <laughs> I mean, everybody's not on the island for most of the movie. The second movie's all about that's the flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. So Don also has two friends, uh, Tanya, Christine Baranski, and Rosie Julie Walters. And when I saw that they were in this movie, I was like, I don't know those actors as well. They must have brought them in because they're great singers, but they're not really. <laughs> I mean, I think they had a lot of personality, but yeah, they're not great singers, but they're her friends. They're her former bandmates, Donna and the Dynamos, which we later find out is like, are they like a professional karaoke group? It's like, I, it's weird that they call themselves a band. I mean, this is my one of the frustrations with musicals, where it's like yeah. it's not clear to me when people are performing a song versus like when a song is representing. It, yeah, like on. what is a musician in the world of a musical? It's like being a professional like talker or monologue person. Because they're always singing. Everyone's always singing. It is hard to distinguish mm-hmm. how they're different. Um. But everybody's trying to fix up this fucking shithole. Um, people, I feel like there's a part where someone maybe, uh, maybe Julie Walters like falls through the roof or something, or is it Meryl Streep? Oh yeah, I got that part. Um, when okay. Meryl Streep falls through the roof, so that's when, so the dudes show up and, you know, obviously Donna is like so surprised and she makes them all sleep in the goat house, and I couldn't tell if this is because the hotel had no vacancies. Um, or because she doesn't want to see the guys. I assume because she doesn't want to see them because he's like, oh, God, what do I do? But then, like, she starts, like, sneaking peeks in the goat house. <laughs> and do you guys remember there's this weird part where she, like, imagines that what they used to look like in the past? Oh, yeah, I've forgotten this. So, uh, you know, because Colin Firth used to be, like, a punk rocker, so she, like, envisions him. And it's Colin Firth, like, in, like, Sex Pistols gear, basically, like a leather jacket <laughs> and spiked choker. But then Pierce Brosnan and Stellan Skarsgård look like they're in, like, the fucking, like, Manson family. Like, especially <laughs> Pierce Brosnan has, like, long hair, uh, like, a handlebar mustache and a headband. It's like, this is what he looked like in 1979? <laughs> yeah. What era is this? <laughs> this looks like a, you go to the, you know, the party city and buy, like, crazy hippie costume. It doesn't... It's insane. But also that she, like, envisions them that and then, like, gets horny. Like, she's so horny that she's, like, on top of... Yeah, she's on the roof of the goat house. And she, like, falls through. And then she falls down in a position with her legs spread out. <laughs> that's how horny this scene is it's ready to go uh but yeah she's having a lot of trouble 
with this. Um, and now I'm going to my notes on my phone, and most of them are just like they sing this song, and then this happens. So this yeah. isn't the best roadmap. Like after this, I have her friend sing Chiquitita. Like, <laughs> that that close enough, Colin? You know uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, of course, expert. yeah. I think I it's like, just like cheeky. It's not a. Is it a real world or is it just I, I, not? I, I feel like I googled it at the time and it meant little girl in some it, in some language yeah, or it's, it's a, a name. It's, I'm not sure. It's little girl in Spanish. Yeah, chiquitita. But th- this is the interesting part of jukebox musicals where you're like, I have to. We have to find a song that sort of fits the emotion of this scene, and you know that's I guess about trying to like tell someone it's gonna be okay they're trying to ease their pain so they sing that yeah i mean as much as i like abba i think they're a really strange choice for a jukebox (laughs) musical because i mean on the one hand something you want out of a musical is for people to you know come out of the theater humming the songs from the movie or stage show that they see which you will definitely get that from ABBA songs because they're super catchy. But at the same time, lyrics are very important to musicals, especially in terms of like moving the story forward. And yeah. uh, ABBA's lyrics are mostly nonsense. <laughs> um, and I'm sure even the members of ABBA would admit that. I mean, English isn't their first language. And I think... Um, I mean, just the sense I get of, like, a Swedish songwriters that have delved into American songwriting since ABBA. Right. Um, That's such a thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think their philosophy is always, like, it's all about the melody. It's all about the song being catchy and getting, you know, stuck in people's brains. It's not about the lyrics as much. Um, My God. So it is weird to just have a like a musical with a story that has just like wall to wall songs that aren't really related to the actual story of the movie. This is really making me understand and appreciate my own Swedish roots and my taste in music and how I try to write songs. It's all making a lot of sense right now. It's because of my yeah. Swedish heritage. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Yeah, I forgot. That's a great point how, you know, you look at like a lot of like Britney Spears songs or just a lot of pop songs, you know, from the 90s and onward and how many of them have like a Swedish co-writer on them. It's just such a it's such an integral part of uh, mainstream pop. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, like Mac, yeah. Max Martin's the big <laughs> Swedish guy who crossed over to American music, but... Yeah, most of the songs he's written for big pop stars don't make much sense. You know, like, <laughs> think about Baby One More Time by Britney Spears or I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. It's like, they want it what way? <laughs> what is this song about? I, it's not until but, right now. Not until right now have I ever thought about either of those songs and what they're trying to say. Hit yeah, me, baby. Who knows? Does that have sex with me one more time? Like, like hit this? I, I don't never even think thought about it. Is. <laughs> hit me, like hit me up, maybe. It's. Do- I, I mean, think... it's not punch me or something. No, 
I, I've heard about the okay. There is some meeting of this, but I think it is something like "Call Me One More okay. Time" or something. But Maybe. "Hit yeah. Me" just made more sense <laughs> in Sounds the context great. of the song. Uh, yeah. Well, she's it, like, she's like, give me a sign, right? So like, call, it's like, call me back, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. hit, hit me up. Yeah, it'd be like, you know, if we were a little further back in time, poke. Poke me, baby, one more time. Or like tweet, yeah. tweet me, baby, one more time. <laughs> Hit me. Yeah, I get it. Okay, good. <laughs> Hit me. Uh, so much of this movie is going from... There's some times where there's a song, and then it just goes into another song. So yeah. mm-hmm. I could be missing a chunk here, but in my notes, after Chiquitita, I have I wrote the uh, Dancing Queen. The dancing queen scene because that's another scene of like uh donna's friends trying to cheer her up and i like that this song has such the uh, such a build-up where they're in donna's like bedroom and i'm like this is where they're gonna do dancing queen they're just gonna do it like in her room like dressing up in her clothes and then meryl streep jumping on her bed but no it builds and then they're like out on the dock and like everyone on the island is singing along they cut away to one of the band members playing the dun 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 on like a boat piano yeah. I don't know which one it is Bjorn or Benny or Buford or whatever <laughs> do you know which Buford. one's which Colin do you know which one's the beard one yeah Benny's the beard one and Bjorn's the I don't not know slightly skinnier one without a beard okay the other are uh, is everyone uh, maybe they weren't on the best of terms back then I feel like you never hear about the other two, the A's. I never hear about um, them. In any of in any of the research I did for Mamma Mia, they they never came up. Yeah, I didn't get the vibe that they were much involved. I guess um, I mean they didn't really write the songs; they just performed them. So, but it's like yeah. they could have at least given them a cameos. Both of the members, both of the B's, have cameos in both movies. Mm-hmm. So, but. One of life's great mysteries. I mean, it's, it's probably hard working with your ex-spouse. <laughs> yeah. Years yeah. later. And it, I guess it is pretty surprising that they did that album then in 2021. That must have taken... Yeah. Must have had to move mountains to make that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pitchfork gave it a 7.4. It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. How do they calculate that? <laughs> There's a crack team of music scientists. <laughs> they run I, the formula. Yeah. I have such a hard time with the five star scale we use. I'm never going to understand the places that have, like, that calculate the score to a tenth. It's too many. It's too yeah. many. It, and also to add. Points. A 7.3 and a 7.4. Uh, <laughs> you're like a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, even a letter ranking, I would be, I'd feel better about. Yeah. Seven point four. Wow. What is your favorite song in the movie? Great this question. Movie. Great question. And I'm uh, talking not just like what's your favorite ABBA song in the movie. I'm talking here the the depiction here. My favorite film. set piece, basically. Yeah. Because I would say probably Mamma Mia is. Is the one for me? Even that's the title. Dancing Queen's up there. What um, is the song they sing where 
it's the sequence is all the like scuba guys dancing around on the dock with their flippers oh my on. God, I loved watching them run with their flippers on. <laughs> that was really funny. I don't remember what song it was. That wasn't part of Dancing Queen. <sighs> was there multiple was. dance sequences on the dock? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not when it's not. Does your mother know? Right when she, when uh uh. uh fucking what's her name christine bransky is like on the beach ah uh, yes about i made a note of that song she loves getting late <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't even remember now i didn't actually make a note of when they do mama mia was that pretty early on yeah that's early that's when uh donna's like sneaking around okay um, well then, I guess I just go with Dancing Queen. It's not the not the most exciting choice, but it's the honest one. So I did pull up the flipper uh, <laughs> scuba sequence. Yeah, it is uh, "Lay All Your Love on Me," which oh yeah, is that's a uh, sky and pretty Sophie. funny choice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's that's my right because he's going off to his like bachelor party with all of those bros. Yeah, that's a good scene. That's a great choice, Colin. I'm proud of you. Yeah, good job. Okay, so there's one there's one thing in this movie that I've not heard anyone talk about. You guys probably don't even remember this, but I took a screenshot. I'm very excited to share this with you. Oh, here we go. Okay, so a lot of build up. So there's there's a scene where Sophie I don't remember what song. Sophie sings a song with the three dads on the boat and they're all just kinda hanging out. You see her like sketching kinda off and on. And I didn't think yeah. anything of it. And then later in the movie, there's a scene where she's talking to Pierce Bros and Sam, and he's like, hey, I saw your drawing. This is good. This is really good. And this scene basically um, operates as, like, you don't have to, you know, settle down right away. You can explore other things, like your art or whatever, even though this, like, art thing is not, it's really only in this scene, and then when she draws a little on the boat. But... I saw the drawing that he holds up, and I'm like, wait a minute. They flashed it really quick. So I rewound and and paused, and I'm going to send you guys a picture. This is the drawing that Pierce Brosnan has that he says, this is good. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sad that our listeners can't hear this. It looks, just looks like a tracing of Pierce Brosnan. It's not that good. But it's not just the fact that he's like... He looks he, like... Um... Captain Planet, sort of. <laughs> or like somebody fucked up uh, drawing Captain Kirk. Yeah. Or he's getting teleported into Take On Me. <laughs> but it's like, I can't believe this is what they used for, this is good. I, that's the that's the line I wrote down. This is good. This is really good. To show, like, you have a talent. Yeah. Uh, it's so bad. It, I mean, it's not so bad. It's so unimpressive. I'm just, um, yeah what you draw okay, in like a seventh a grade art class it's to show you that he's becoming a proud papa that's true I, th- I feel like Sophie does not spend enough time with the other dads to really form a meaningful relationship it's so clearly like <laughs> Sam's gonna be the like maybe not the one that's the actual dad or the one even that the mom chooses but they're putting so much emphasis on him as being like this is the main this is the important guy well, they do. They spend a whole day together, right? In our last summer, it's like a whole day that they're out on the boat together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sam's there for that, so it's not like it's the other two dads without Sam. But 
I mean, the other guys don't even get their own song. Stellan gets to be part of Take a Chance at the end of the movie. Uh, but yeah, they're just they're just there, man. So. Well, he also gets to show his butt, John. He does show his butt, and he has a tattoo on it, which I thought maybe I heard that Stellan like added something or, or no, no, I don't <laughs> think they knew he was gonna show his butt. <laughs> so he's up to some hijinks on this movie. I mean, this is a guy that has like ten kids or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> this guy knows how to party. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Sophie and Sky, do you lay all your love on me? <laughs> Guys in the flippers, that's <laughs> pretty good. There's also, like, a crazy, like, bachelor party and a bachelorette party seemingly going on at the same time. Because this all takes place mm-hmm. the day before the yeah. wedding. It's such a small time, window of time. Um, there's one shot. Uh, this is the second time I had to rewind the movie. Because I was like, what did I just see? Because there's, like, a part where, like, the Bachelor guys basically... I feel like they kind of they crash the Bachelorette party. And mm-hmm. they swing in from ropes. But the ropes mm-hmm. are coming from the sky. Yeah, like Spider-Man. But, like, <laughs> they're just coming from nowhere. I mean, obviously, this movie, like, a lot of the, the hotel was a set. But it's like they didn't question the fact these guys are swinging out of the sky. Because there's only so many times where this movie, like, breaks away from reality. Um, but I think that I think that I mean you, you pointed out this is directed by uh, Phil Lydia Lloyd. Lloyd, yeah, musical uh, director, yeah, and that is totally the feel they're going for here, especially early on in the movie when you have these daytime scenes um, at the hotel and at the beach that look you know nothing like they're outside at all. They're just like clearly in sets um, or or in front of green screen or are. Like I, I, when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is bad. This is age poor." But as more time's gone on, I thought, "Well, maybe that's just the feel they're going for. This is not. They don't. They're not trying to sell you on the idea that this is in reality at all. It's. It's. It might as well be on a stage. That's that's fine. But there's not many times where the movie takes that like swing, like goes into like <laughs> surreal musical. It's not like it's across the universe or something. It's mostly like pretty. I mean, with the aside from the occasional flash mobs, <laughs> like mobs of people that all know the choreography and songs, uh, there isn't that. There isn't too many weird things in there. So I think it's like when I see something like that, I get what they're doing. It just it, it threw. Me. I thought it was funny. It threw me. Um, yeah. Don and the Dynamos perform Super Trooper at the bachelorette party. You got the old costumes. They start singing it. And I read that this was just them singing actual acapella for real, which wow. it's not again. So it's not like it's that impressive, but yeah, it's, <laughs> like I feel like that'd be a more impressive fun fact if it sounded really good. Uh, but it sounds fine. I mean, look, this this movie is all about infectious fun. Yeah, it's you're you're watching people have fun, and that is fun in the same way watching karaoke is yeah. fun. Uh, I mean <laughs> when I look up the reviews for it on Letterboxd everyone is talking about how they had like 10 glasses of wine while they were watching this movie. <laughs> you know I was drinking yeah it's it's just it's that kind of fun and that's the vibe you have to be on to, to get a kick out of it 
and that's cool. That's like, I don't think they were ever trying to not be that. I think that was always the goal, and and that's why I think, you know, take a chance on Pierce Brosnan. He's having a blast. He's doing. He has it all. a blast. He sings SOS. <laughs> Make sure to give the worst singer their own song. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything else from that crazy bachelorette part. There's a part where Stellan Skarsgård looks like tied down to a table and like women start ripping off his clothes. <laughs> Is well, this... is this the part where, um, like, Sophie is kind of asking all three of them yeah. to walk her down the aisle? Yeah, and it has the, like, I'm 20 part, like, and all that stuff. Yeah, she keeps, she's, like, finding ways to interact with each one of them at this moment. Yeah, okay. And um, then they, like, all the dads amongst themselves, like, almost get to say they're going to walk her down the aisle to each other, but they never do. So there's, like, that little bit of dramatic yeah they're having fun real big plot, sitcom energy i love it yeah <laughs> a real good farce my next note is when christine bransky gets to sing a song just out totally out of the blue she sings that song about yep. how the, the dude wants to bang her mm-hmm. um and there's a part where it looks like she's gonna suck his dick but actually puts him in a diaper <laughs> you know it's pretty good uh that's all i have to say on that i just wanted to make a note of that because i thought that was pretty good could use more flipper guys. It's funny when I look through my notes and I'm like, what was I trying to say when I wrote this note? Because I have a note right after that Christine Bransky one that says, weird ballad with immature daughter. I don't know what I'm referring to, what scene this is. Uh, but apparently when I watched this, this was something that John felt needed to be written down. Right after that, I wrote down "Winner Takes All" with the sleep emoji, which is pretty mean. This is uh, the song that Meryl <laughs> sings to Pierce Brosnan on that cliff. Remember, she just like sings the whole song to him, and he just kind of like looks around, contemplating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, this is like the song that like uh, the, the the filmmakers are like, "Oh my god, Meryl's just like giving everything she has." We had chills. <laughs> And I'm like, this is all right. It's like, they do the whole damn song. And it's not, it's just her singing on this hill. It's not like a big dance. It's it's like this tender moment. But it's it's hard to sell when, you know, she's only so good. This is like right before, like, the wedding's going to happen, too. Um, you know what's so funny is there's this, there's this big, uh, important wedding scene. And this is the scene where I wrote, no notes. <laughs> the last thing I oh. wrote was "Winter takes all sleep emoji." Um, you know, I had a little bit. I thought it was a little weird to have a wedding hijacking happen. That was like, I, interesting. I I get that they were like, "Hey, maybe uh, maybe Sophie and Sky aren't ready to get married." Uh, it's it's weird that they went that way because this wedding was. The whole thing and yeah. then they spent the whole movie focusing on our relationship with her dads and not with her fiance um so like i didn't like fully get because i mean it, the sequel picks up with a- actually <laughs> sophie and sky are soulmates and they should have gotten married but whatever whatever that's fine it makes sense enough that they don't get married at the wedding for then her mom and one of her dads to get married at her wedding felt crazy to me. Somebody's <laughs> gotta get married. 
I, and especially when you recall, this movie takes place in basically two days, maybe less. Yeah, <laughs> of someone she hasn't seen from since maybe I guess 1979, back when he looked like one of the Manson family members <laughs> with his long hair and, and handlebar mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like she, she definitely loves Sam the most because he he was gonna propose to her. Uh, but then she found out he had already proposed to someone else. That's, and that's right. Why they broke up. That's right. So we, it, we also like, find out sense. that why Colin Firth didn't, and I wasn't really tracking this during the movie. I think there's one scene where I like, oh, okay, that he was gay. That's the yeah. big reveal with him. Uh, and then Stellan's just too. I don't know. He's too carefree to be. I feel like I saw. I googled who's the father, and someone's like. I can I can tell you why Stillen is actually the father, but I didn't click on it because I'm like they don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I guess Sophie. Uh, it is weird that like she she breaks down why like oh well if we get married then we can't like go places and we want to go places. It is weird to like shift the focus. To, like uh, this was move this was about your dad's, but now it's about your relationship. Like I didn't realize that was such an issue for you in the movie i don't know it, it, it's is odd um like i'm like yeah maybe don't marry sky because he's barely been in the movie sure <laughs> like that <laughs> makes sense to me uh maybe it should have been more of the plot but i don't know i don't know if i needed more sky i liked watching the dads and i liked watching donna and sophie i liked watching I, I, that as well and donna and her weird friends and yeah and her weird friend that I'd forgotten that Take a Chance on Me hadn't been in the movie when she starts singing Take a Chance on Me to Stellan. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this was weird. It's like this, I feel like the movie should have ended at this point. Like it should have ended not long after this wedding scene, but it, it kind of <laughs> lingers for a bit. You yeah. get the whole Take a Chance on Me sequence. Um, and then the end credits has back-to-back songs with the credits playing. Yeah, it's like a Bollywood movie. You get a reprise of Dancing Queen, and they're like, oh, fuck, we forgot Waterloo. So then they... <laughs> this is this is Donna and the Dinos, and then also the three dads. And I think Sophie shows up, too, and they're all wearing, like, flashy kind of disco-type costumes. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of... Yeah, like you're saying, it's like a Bollywood movie. This just like, hey, one more time. Like, yeah, we're like outside of the fiction of the movie. Like you can hear an audience like applauding. Like they added in crowd sound effects. Uh, also, I, I, yeah. th- it must be how the play ends. That they must do the same thing in the play, right? Oh, they must. Mm. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, there's also. Do you remember there's like a weird shot of Greek gods looking down on them? <laughs> you remember this shot? I don't. I only that remember it right. because I was like, why is that there? And I was like, oh, one of the Greek gods is the other guy from ABBA. Oh. Benny or Bjorn or Bertrand yeah, or whatever. <laughs> He's got the kind of the wreath, the kind of Julius Caesar wreath in a toga. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they got them all. They got all the songs in. They did it. They did it. Almost. Yeah. There, is a, there is a reference to Fernando. They named the yacht that Stellan Scarf. That's true. Fernando. Which is funnier in the second one because there's a guy named Fernando. Okay, like well, let's get let's talk about the second one. Did they only mm-hmm. make the second one because oh, I guess the first one was such a huge hit that's why they made it. But also they're like, "Fuck, mm-hmm. we forgot f- to do the song Fernando. Now we definitely have to do another one." First one also it doesn't have uh, "Knowing Me, Knowing You." 
That's kind of a bigger one. I don't fucking know what that is. Sean, did you know what that is? <laughs> uh, I've heard it now. I, I had heard it <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago or whenever. I, I didn't know. I, I probably know, like, less than 10 ABBA songs by heart. Or, like, you know, no, I don't know. May, maybe more. I'm not sure. Not a lot. So that's why I was so surprised that they made Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah. Aren't a lot of bands that have enough good songs to do two musicals? I think yeah. they could have made Across the Universe 2. They, they could have. The Beatles have a deep catalog. Um, ABBA doesn't even have that many albums. It's like six <laughs> or seven albums. <laughs> like... Yeah. They were only around for, what, eight years? <laughs> so were the Beatles gone. You know, I can't remember if it was it's after true. I watched Mamma Mia or after I watched Mamma Mia 2. Uh, but I watched both of these with Autumn, and then after one of them, I think it was after Mamma Mia 2, because we were high, we put on Across the Universe, and I was yeah, having whoa. a terrible time with it. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I liked this movie. I was like 10 minutes in, I was like, this is horrible. I was shocked that I I, I used to like this side. movie. Yeah, that's how I felt. Now I could not stop singing along to one song. I can't remember what it was now. That was so fucking annoying. Let me turn it off. But I I came up with a title. This is like because I also have my high notes. <laughs> There's like three jokes that I tried to make while high, and I wrote them down. One of them was across the universe to from me to you, like the Beatles song. <laughs> from me to you not very good but Hyde John thought that was pretty funny <laughs> um so okay let's the mommy a two so so here's here's i got some issues with mommy a two as you guys have seen mm-hmm. in my letterboxed rating uh so jukebox musicals as we've discussed are unique and that the story essentially has to be written around pre-existing songs you don't really write mm-hmm. the story and then write the songs to fit and i feel like with the first one You've already picked almost all the best songs, so now we have even less wiggle room, less bangers, unless you redo the previous ones. So I just, I had such or, a hard time justifying the existence of this movie. Or I, I just, I just need to say it. Yes, I just need to, because I, they must have considered it, and I don't know if it ever got anywhere. But could they have done? A sequel. It sounds dumb. Could they have done a sequel with the same characters, but a different band? Mm, I, Sean, I think that's actually that's, a good idea. Yeah, it actually is. I'm, th- I'm just like kind of thinking, like, what would be the good band to do that? Okay, the one I that have comes two. To, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I want to hear what you have to say first. The one that comes to mind first for me, as far as like similar vibes to ABBA, is the Bee Gees. I was gonna say that as well i also have i was going to save this for the end but i also came up with because when i was watching this i was like what other bands could you do jukebox musicals out of and i came up with one i'm like this is would be this makes a lot of sense i think this is a great idea and i'm shocked to find as far as i can tell is not like an actual musical hotel california the eagles right an eagles jukebox musical <laughs> desperado the witchy woman checks into the Hotel California. <laughs> I feel like there's something there, man, with the Eagles. I don't know if that's you the right give, vibe for Mamma Mia 2. You can't give boomers what they want too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
You're usually yeah. getting it most of the time anyways. That would be the biggest movie of the year. The boomers <laughs> would take over. If they made Hotel California, the musical, the movie. Yeah. Starring like Richard Gere, some bullshit. I don't know if he can sing. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but let, let me get more into some of my issues with Mamiya too, Because I, I was pretty surprised to find that I'm in the minority on on kind of disliking this movie because I saw it has it has better reviews than the first one. You guys both liked it better. Um, I guess before yeah. I get into my issues, I'll, I'll, I'll ask, um, what did you guys like about this one? You know, and, or why, why did you like it better than the first one? Um, it had a plot. Yeah, it felt more like a real movie <laughs> to me, <laughs> which I get it if you like a movie that is just a strange like entity that doesn't have a plot and is just all like songs and craziness like i get that appeal but this one it was just like better paced it yeah it had a real plot like it had breathing room like the first one just mostly uses the abba hits you know which i i realize is kind of what maybe most people go to abba for but I like that the second one has some more slower songs so that the movie can slow down. And I mean, also like the musical sequence to me felt a little more choreographed in terms of like there were dance numbers and it wasn't just people like kind of running around a, a set in to made up to look like Grease. Um, right. I mean, they did cheat a little bit by casting young, beautiful, talented people. It's like it's a little unfair that they were able to do that for this one. I don't know that any of them really pop for me, though. You didn't fall in love with Lily James three. I, I like I like Lily James. I liked her in I Pam and Tommy quite good. a bit. I'd say she definitely out of the you know the young ensemble. Yeah, yeah. She, okay, she pops. She pops. Sure. The other people like I I haven't even seen any of these actors in anything since this. At least not that I can recall. So. Um. I don't know if it's necessarily like a star-making role for anybody else. Um, I didn't think anyone was bad or anything. It just, it just none of them have the charisma of the older actors who are pretty much sidelined for the majority of this movie. Uh, and I missed that. I, I was actually, I, I was thankful that they showed up because they kept talking about how they weren't there, and that yeah. was bugging me for so much. Like, there's that, there's that. Uh, that feeling of like, oh, are they going to get there? Or where are they? And again, this is probably all enhanced by being high. Yeah. Also, the the feeling of, what are they going to fucking do for Nando? Because, <laughs> like, you know, it was one of the big ones they hadn't done. I even, one another one of my high jokes is that they were going to save it for the mid-credits and Nick Fury is going to show up and recruit Fernando to the Avengers. And that's what they're going to do for Nando. <laughs> They're gonna wait that long. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I I, I I have my three main issues, and then we can talk about some other some things that we liked and whatnot. Um, sure. The, my first issue that I wrote was I thought the past, the stuff in the past, to me looked kind of cheap because everything looked like obviously sets. Because I mean, the first movie is all mm-hmm. centrally one location, so I mean that looks like a set too, but. I don't know. It, it felt 
I, uh, I think the thing is when they're trying to go to different places and tell me that these are different places, it's harder to convince me that. I, it all felt like the same place. It didn't feel like the past to me. Everyone looked like yeah. they were going to Coachella. You didn't like the college that's just like one big room? I didn't mind that. It's just like when she's checking in the hotel, I'm like, this doesn't look like a real like hotel. Or, or the uh, or the bar the or whatever restaurant in Paris that's Napoleon themed. The Napoleon themed <laughs> so bar. Can do Waterloo? Just so they can do Waterloo, <laughs> mm-hmm. including having a guy dressed as Napoleon. He's like the maitre d. Yeah. So I don't know that the globe. I didn't like the globe trotting aspect as much. Also, like I guess they didn't. I could this could have gone over my head or I could have missed it entirely. I had assumed after the first movie that these past hookups had happened in greece and that's why she'd stayed in greece because she had some sort of attachment to it like this is where i had loved and lost i mean there may be a line in the first movie where she says that they were happened all over all over the place she may have said that already but i in my mind (laughs) whether i was paying attention or not i like the idea better that this all happened in greece as a as opposed to uh everywhere Oh, well, but it's it's the story of her. Instead of fi- falling in love with those three boys, she ends up falling in love with the island and uh, decides to settle down there. That's the end of her story. That's the. the it just it seemed it seemed arbitrary, much like the decision to set the movie in Greece in the first place. I guess yeah, they're they're trying to make an explanation of why it's Greece. Um, but I like the explanation better, being that it's tied to romantic memories. Again, these are just, just personal preference. It, it makes enough sense in the second movie. Um, yeah, my, 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 my second issue was that they looked like they're at Coachella, that they, did, they didn't look like the past. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a musical. It's silly. I get that it's not actually going to be a convincing period piece. That's fine. Um, and then my third issue was I didn't like Amanda Seyfried's like like her arc that is now that she's committed to running this hotel after the death of Donna. Didn't like the death of Donna. Didn't like that that had happened. Because yeah. um, it's because in the last movie, she's like, I'm going to go travel everywhere. And then she's stuck here. I think I would have liked it better if Donna had died right away. And then like she would have had to come to the hell, the hotel and it's like, do I run this place or not? But instead that decision, that hard decision has already been made before the events of the movie. I just I thought that felt like a weird reset for her character. I didn't I didn't quite like that. But uh, I mean, I I think that's fair. But I I, I mean the what they're going for is, but like these women fall in love with this island and decide they don't want to go anywhere else. Um, but she felt it seemed like she was more burdened by this island. That's how it starts, but then she, she, you know, she remembers that she loves it when everyone, all the local fishermen, show up to Dancing Queen, and it's the greatest scene I've ever that, seen. Okay, I'm not gonna <laughs> deny that scene, though. What my favorite thing that Autumn said when we were watching this, because the guys all show up on the boats, arms outstretched, singing Dancing Queen, and I'm saying, Amazing. who are all these other people on the boats? I was like, that's a pretty good point. Who are all these other people They're that the, weren't the the local fishermen? Okay. Okay, so they're they're it just it seemed like they're party guests. No, the party guests didn't get to come. That's the thing. Is the the big party was going to be for all the fancy people, but they didn't get to come. Instead, the party ended up being for the local fishermen. Okay. 
One, th- this is clearly a a, uh, a detail that f- flew right past High John because I didn't I did not understand that. Um, yeah, yeah, they get they get uh, they get saved by uh, uh, the fucking uh, the, the guy who uh, Stellan Skarsgård had helped back in the past because he wanted to propose to that lady who was going to marry someone else. Right. It's um, like good karma. Okay. Um, also, didn't like that Sam is still gets, still gets the most songs out of all the guys because he's still he's stuck around, but barely. He's got old but, pictures of Donna that look like Instagram photos, and sings a sad ballad. I really loved that they set up that everyone who left the island ended up being like the most successful person in their field. Did you notice this? <laughs> I don't like stuff like that, but yeah. <laughs> like uh, like Colin Firth is out there making like the the biggest business deal of all time. He's going to become a quadrillionaire after whatever sale he's doing with some Japanese company. And it seems like Stellan Skarsgård is meant to be accepting an award for being the most interesting person on the planet. <laughs> Which is really funny because then that most interesting person yeah. in the world guy from those commercials yeah. is in the movie. I did the uh, I did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when that guy showed. Wow! <laughs> Couldn't believe it. He was in a movie. But if if there is if there is anything in this movie that was let's say challenging to someone who was high. I, I can't think of anything I've ever seen that in the moment was more confusing than when they reveal that Stellan Skarsgård has a fat twin brother <laughs> that he also plays. I could not f- figure out that what was going on. I lost my mind. so funny. It was insane. I can't. It was... And it makes me sad that you didn't like love it so much because of because of your confusion. I was I, I was that, disturbed. I was chilled I was to like, the bone. Yeah, uh, this this movie's made for John. Yeah, when I saw that. It was, I know. I didn't like seeing that he'd become the whale. I, or, at least for at that that moment of deception, uh, it scared me. It turned into a horror movie. I had a bad <laughs> trip at that moment. He's he's just warming up for. Baron Harkonnen and Dune. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, just, just this is what feel. he sent in for his audition tape. <laughs> getting a feel for that fat suit. Getting a feel. Feeling it around. Feels good. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my only other note after that, obviously, there's still obviously other thing, interesting things to talk about, but my only other note was that I made a mad magazine parody title for this movie uh which 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 i thought again i was high i thought this was very funny it's diarrhea here we blow again (laughs) Uh, mad magazine (laughs) this is my this is my audition for mad magazine please this is a great title lasted until uh 2018 (laughs) yeah no i feel like they probably just put out those collector's editions no way they're doing anything current no way they're doing anything in 2018. <laughs> um, but we got some other, we got some big additions. We got Andy Garcia in this, uh, Fernando. I feel like he's not in the movie nearly enough. 
Um, I feel like Andy Garcia shows up in a lot of sequels in like a small role. <laughs> what did I? Yeah, isn't he? He's like in the new Expendables. <laughs> yeah. He just shows up. Yeah, you're right. And he was in which Oceans movie is he in? The third one? I think I think he's in all of them. Oh, he's he? in all of them. Okay, I couldn't remember if he was one that joined up later. Feels like he did, but I think he is in the first one. Okay, good. Um, but the big reveal is Donna's is Donna's mom, Cher, mm-hmm. who's always gone because she's a touring musician. Which again, the concept of a musician to musical is a confusing concept. <laughs> I also thought it was weird. Cher is only four years older than Meryl Streep, so that that was confusing to me. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Well, I thought I was like, wait, Cher's Meryl Streep's mom. I had to like look it up. It's still it's so weird. I mean, Cher it's is one of those people that's like, who knows how old she is because she's had a lot of surgery. Yeah. She's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's timeless in a way, preserved uh, through science. But um, <laughs> she gets to sing Fernando. They go kind of mid tempo with it. I guess you don't you don't it, Fernando's not going to be like a flash mob type song. It's going to be more of a romantic yeah. thing, but. I think since I was anticipating it so much, I want it to be a little bigger. But again, probably doesn't fit the song. Um, they should have not done Waterloo in the first movie and then made Waterloo more of a finale song instead of that. I guess it was fun when they did it in the the bar or the restaurant or whatever it was in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's all I got on the second movie. Unless there's some something you guys want to you'd love to talk about in the second movie there just wasn't enough songs that i knew that i saw i was like oh i don't know this one don't know this one yeah no it's definitely a lot of album cuts (laughs) with some singles (laughs) thrown in which i guess didn't bother me even though i didn't like them or i didn't know them as well when i watched this movie but know them better now after spending a couple weeks listening to that I liked that they would use um, the bigger songs from the first movie as like little instrumental motifs though, for the characters that you associate with them. Like mm-hmm. you'd hear SOS when Sam's on screen or uh, I don't know, another song with other people. I'm sure you heard sure. Mamma Mia as an instrumental at some point. Yeah. Although I think they also perform Mamma Mia <laughs> in this one, right? They do Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen yeah. in both movies. Mm-hmm. Gotta do them. Oh, you know, I was just looking at this. I didn't realize that um, Flidia Lloyd did not direct this until right now. <laughs> um, Asian British guy. Old Parker. Old Parker. <laughs> the director of uh, the Best Exotic... No, writer, excuse me, of Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Cause that, that was, of course, directed by John Madden. Um, and uh, director of Ticket to Paradise. Which, uh, oh, nice. I feel like that was kind of like a low key. I don't know if it's a hit, but I feel like old people loved it from like last year. And I feel like Ticket to Paradise, the ultimate plane film. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, you yeah. watch it while you're. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole genre, right? Mamma Mia, Ticket to Paradise, vacation movies, Best Exotic Marigold. Okay, Old Parker is the yeah. ultimate <laughs> vacation filmmaker. This, this is my is dream job. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would love, or even just like get cast on a 
on like a Hawaii Five O or Lost, or be friends with Adam Sandler, (laughs) (laughs) or just be friends with Adam Sandler. Just like get a permanent vacation job. Oh yeah, sounds great. Um, Okay, I was just looking up to see how how well the second one did. Pretty well, pretty well. Four four hundred and two million against a seventy five million budget. So another hit. Will we get Mamma Mia three? What would you call Mama it? Mama Thria. Mama Thria. There you go. <laughs> I like your idea, Sean, of of, of reuniting the, the the cast, but with a different band. I think we should do. I think maybe like AC feel like could be good. That'd be controversial. <laughs> yeah, I, they're too far gone now. People would be pissed if they had done it yeah. with the second one. Yeah, maybe yeah. it would have worked. I mean, it's pretty amazing they did it a second time. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, wasn't wasn't the rumor that if there was going to be a third one, it was just going to be based on that new album that Colin has? <laughs> he heard one song. Yeah, I heard one. Yeah, song. I, I guess you could do that as the bulk of it, and then throw in like, "Hey, anybody want to hear Dancing Queen again?" Yeah. I think they got them. They got to wait though. Twenty twenty eight, we're getting it when Meryl Streep's like eighty something. Yeah. Well, no, she doesn't do sequels. That's why she's dead in this one. Yeah. But she still she does I'm still sh- appear as a ghost. As a ghost yeah. briefly. And I'm sure they had to pay her twenty billion dollars <laughs> Yeah, this movie's actually a huge loss. <laughs> the twenty billion they dropped to get Meryl to show up. Do her first sequel in her whole career. I think that's true. Okay. Sounds sounds right to me. Um well, hey man, I'm glad you guys liked it so much. I I still had a fun time watching both movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're vacation movies. Your mind goes on vacation when you watch these kinds of movies. Great, great summer movies. Uh, you know, check them out for sure. Um, Sean, I'm sure you got some goofs, but do we want to talk about any other bands? Did you jukebox musicals? I feel like we talked about a few. BGS, Eagles. Is there really anyone else? I feel like. You can't, but you could have done Michael Jackson before things went got really bad. Oh, I think they did. I think. Oh, they did. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Came out There's like a, a Jimmy Buffett ago. one now too. Jimmy, oh yeah, Margaritaville. Uh, yeah, that, that must have a lot of food songs, right? <laughs> a lot of eating on stage. <laughs> I mean, you. I guess you could do it with most bands. It's like, what would I actually want to? see i mean yeah. i don't know like i i would i see a beach boys musical sure i mean would it be a lot about the beach yeah but okay <laughs> maybe like a fucking like led zeppelin musical that's got like fucking magic and wizards in it and stuff i mean yeah <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> but uh, let what I, I think if I was going to make a pick after this, it would definitely be Rock of Ages because I think that's got to be the, the flip side of this. It's that Gosh. crazy movie with Tom with Tom Cruise. What was the last time Tom Cruise like really took a took a shot and, and did something really weird? Was it that? I guess the mummy kind of felt out of character for him. Oh yeah, because he was like going to do a like a franchise maybe so maybe the mummy but rock of age is also a very weird swing from him at a period where i feel like he wasn't doing stuff like this as much yeah maybe i mean he did like night and day around that time i think um 
which just seems like an unnecessary movie that didn't get to that, like didn't need to be made, which doesn't seem like his style. <laughs> yeah, it's a little strange. Um, this would be pretty fun. We should we should maybe watch Rock of Ages someday. <laughs> I forgot that it has Alec Baldwin in it. Yeah. Brian Cranston, Paul Giamatti, <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones, Russell Brand. Wow, Rock of Ages, 2012. Ooh, this movie is bad, really bad. Yeah. What's the What's the soundtrack to this? So, what are the numbers? It's just like 80s hair metal. Yeah, like this fucking sucks. Sister Leopard. Christian, Paradise City, Jukebox Hero. I love Rock. This is terrible. But isn't that interesting, though, that it is still a jukebox musical with beloved music, with beloved actors, um, but it's just, like, not appealing at all. You look at Rock of Ages, and you're like, what, what a clusterfuck. Yeah. Jeez, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. But you look at the two Mamma Mia's, and you're like, I want to have fun with these people. I mean, pairing I I just... ABBA with vacation is a brilliant <laughs> idea. And wedding? <laughs> Whereas, yeah, it just, it makes sense. It's all about. Uh, did we catch any goofs, Sean? Or did you look for any goofs in this? In any I mean, of these the movies? main goof, the main goof on uh, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, that's repeated like four times, it's been written in different ways. It's one you talked about um, where uh, Harry, Bill, and Sam are shown in the first movie. <laughs> 20 years ago and then they're in the second movie 20 years ago and they look completely different where's the continuity on that people are pretty upset about that um as far as the first movie it's it's actually like really minor stuff like uh you know one character's shoes change i think sophie has like flowers in her hair sometimes in one scene and then not in the rest of the scene um so like basically they basically a perfect movie according to the well, should I write a goof about the ropes coming from the sky <laughs> okay but I, but John you might get flagged as incorrectly regarded as this. so be careful Is, what if I get enough people to say they liked this <laughs> well there you go sometimes that's worth it okay um well, yeah perfect movies that's good to hear we don't watch a lot of perfect films, but I'm, I'm glad that these yeah, ones are perfect. They're pretty rare. Um, I have to say I don't have a villain's wiki uh, entry for this. Um, who would be the villain? Who is the villain? I don't know, man. I feel like there is one. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a villain's wiki. Okay. Uh, this is Dante Reyes, the villain of Fast X. Okay. Yeah, let's that, As long as we've talked about... <laughs> All right. Our, it, our triple episode within episode. the episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dante Reyes is alias is the devil and also daddy's boy. Wow. So, <laughs> uh, his occupation is the leader of his own terrorist group. Uh, and he's also a member of the Reyes crime family, parentheses, formerly, because Dom and the crew did kill all of them. Or did they? The movie's really weird about if people actually get killed or not. Uh, his powers and skills are, are pretty good. They include genius level intelligence, exceptional charisma, master manipulation, expert marksmanship, driving skills, just general driving skills. So, like, that's Maybe what I would control. have, too. <laughs> yeah. 
mini remote control bombs, which is not a power or a skill, but it's in this list. Uh, technological cool. hacking, definitely, because I mean they just give that power out for free, and mm. that's like you know how like superheroes like can just generally fly. It's like not a big deal yeah. in the Fast universe. Technological hacking is that super. <laughs> And then, of course, his most important power, near inexhaustible wealth. Wow. (laughs) Very important. uh, Because he does hold a grudge for them stealing money from him, but it doesn't matter because he has unlimited money. Anyway, his hobby is terrorizing for power, being flamboyant, and uh, plotting revenge (laughs) on his enemies. Now, that part is definitely true. Yeah. His goal, help his father in preventing the Toretto crew from stealing their fortune, parentheses, failed. Study the entire Toretto crew and learn all of their secrets, heuristics, and behavior, parentheses, succeeded. Cliffhanger ending, though. I think that might get appended later. Uh, (laughs) Take over the world for the legacy of his beloved father and unleash many catastrophes to do so parentheses ongoing wow (laughs) and then finally kill dominic toretto his family his entire crew and all their allies as revenge for his father's death parentheses most likely succeeded but still plans to kill luke hobbs letty ortiz and possibly brian o'connor next um so another i think parentheses that's gonna get appended later his crimes include organized crime, mass murder, mass kidnapping, mass destruction of property, terrorism, including cyber terrorism, sabotage, conspiracy, abuse, parentheses, child, psychological, physical, and of power. <laughs> He's a piece of power of crime. I think I think that is. I think that checks out. Uh, theft, corruption, bribery, incrimination, stalking, torture, false imprisonment by proxy, <laughs> um, blackmail, reckless driving, mutilation, and, of course, just good old-fashioned assault. Yeah. Now, John, this will be hard for you because you haven't seen right. Fast Ten. <laughs> but based on all those clues, yeah. uh, can you tell me what type of villain Dante How is? How many words? It's two words. Um, let's see. Um, vengeful Mastermind. It's <laughs> a really good guess. Colin, you want to weigh in on this? Um, I don't know. Flamboyant psychopath. All right. So, John, you fell into the trap that Colin Alice fall into, where you want to call someone a mastermind in every movie, <laughs> and it's never mastermind. But you got the adjective right. He is vengeful. He's a vengeful sadist. Okay. Mm. Well, if you recall, Ben the Rat was a mastermind. <laughs> the ultimate master. While I'm here, I'm going to look up Ben the Rat to see if that's. Oh, uh, I'm sure it's, it's probably going to take it down, right? Let's see. Ben. Ben's wiki. Ben parentheses Willard? Uh, yeah. Oh, Wrote yeah, yeah. All, all my stuff's still yep. up. <laughs> still there. Wrote it master. Did you add this gallery? I didn't know. All I did was the stats. He had a gallery and he okay. had um, other stuff. He just didn't have any stats. Oh, okay. So you. Just I wrote. I wrote everything gotcha, for gotcha. the stats under the poster. There's nothing. It's nice to see this gallery. Ben's evil glare. Yeah. Captured. You know, what we should do someday on the podcast. We should do like a like a 
like tiers, like how, like have like, or like a, a a bracket of all the villains fighting each other. Better bit on the rogues gallery and see who comes out on top. But I feel like there's a couple there, like Unicron. They're like he's like a planet, so it's gonna be hard to imagine. Like could could like could Denzel Washington from Trading Day beat Unicron? <laughs> I think yeah, that's why it's good chance. to have a. That's why it's good to just do it as a tier list, though, because we can just put Unicron as S tier and we can move on. We don't have to think about it too much. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we're talking off podcast. We're thinking next next episode we'll be doing our our Criterion draft. Um. But Colin, you're talking about you had you had a pick lined up if we were going to do one, but you wanted us. Do you want us to guess what it would have been? <laughs> I would like to guess. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Do you need clues? I well, I need a clue. Yeah. I'll give you one clue. Okay. I picked it because to me it felt like a great combination of like the vibes of the last three movies we did all rolled into one movie. Wow! Wow! Okay, I'm gonna. Put, what are the last three okay, picks we've is... done? The last three picks being this. Mamma Mia, Boiler Room, and 42? <laughs> yep. Hmm. <laughs> the vibes of all three. Wow. <laughs> that is an uh, impressive connection to have made. Yeah. Maybe you'll disagree, but to me it just felt like a, a good continuation of those three movies. I mean, is it a musical? It is a musical. I ask, what else could it have taken from Mamma Mia? Interesting. Hmm. A musical? Uh. Boiler Room is the one that's really throwing me off. <laughs> right? Uh, well, 42's throwing me off, too, because it's like, um, is, there, is there a baseball musical? Is there a civil rights musical? <laughs> I think you're thinking too deeply about <laughs> that aspect, I think. I'll give you another clue, sure. Another clue. It's directed by someone we've talked about on the podcast. Okay, that's that's good. That's just vague enough, but also... Okay. Someone we've talked about, a musical. What have I... This is so. This, this is hard to pull. I feel bad because I, I always give you guys quizzes, and I'm like, I know you guys can get this, but when you're on the I other side of it, yeah, I just didn't want it to be too obvious. Someone we've talked about. Someone we've um, is it? No, no. Is is Get On Up directed by somebody? That's a musical, right? Yeah, it is. And it's I got don't, Chad Bozeman. I, I don't remember who directed it. I'm it thinking. Directed by I'm thinking. The same guy that did the time. help. Okay. Because I wanted to say Greatest Showman, but we haven't talked about this director. And also, mm -hmm. how is that? I, Boiler Room is so is. <laughs> Maybe there's like a cast connection or... Is it from the 21st century? It is. Okay. 
is Vin Diesel. I would know if Vin Diesel was in a musical. I would Vin think. Diesel's not in it. <laughs> Definitely not. On Moonlight Bay. Um, also, Googling list of musicals is not as helpful as I'd hoped. <laughs> so I was thinking, like, maybe Moulin Rouge. But I think you already watched that, right? Yeah, I've watched it recently. Yeah, I've seen it before. I have not seen this movie before. Uh, I don't want to just... I could just throw out random um, musicals, but I feel like that wouldn't be in the spirit of... Okay, I'll I'll say the director... One more. (laughs) Yeah, the director, the movie we watched on the pick yeah. that had him in it. He was acting in. But he just directed this movie. Wow. Directors that have been in movies. <laughs> like Peter Bogdanovich. Um, <laughs> Roger Corbin. These aren't getting me any closer so far. <laughs> Directors in the movie. God, why can't we have fucking done less episodes of this show? Um, I'm now I'm just looking through every movie we've. Okay, done. I'll give you one more hint that may put it over the top. It is also a jukebox musical. Wow, you thought that you think that would have done it, huh? <laughs> I, I would have thunk, but I was. I wrong. think this just goes to show that this isn't like a super musical group. I guess. Uh, it's like Kenneth Branagh done like a musical. <laughs> Wait. Wait. I got, I got one. Okay. Yeah. I got one. Uh, Clint Eastwood did a musical, didn't he? <laughs> Jersey Boys. Yep. Oh, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Jersey Boys is Jersey. a jukebox musical. Yeah, it is right. a mid-20th century period piece about guys being dudes. Just having a good time. Boiler Room was, was the tough one, but I think... Maybe a little loose, I think it, but yeah. I think you can connect it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I kind of cheated because I pulled up our my log of all the movies we talked about. So I was just like, we're literally going through every movie we've talked about, thinking about it. Kind of a cheat. That's, that's fair. <laughs> hey, I mean, I was doing everything. No I, Sean, I was doing literally everything I could to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a million tabs open trying to figure this out. But I'm not just going to be like, you know, like, uh, Into the Woods, Fan of the Opera. I'm just going to like name every music. Until <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that's fair. Jersey Boys. How how long is Jersey Boys? It's a little long. It's a little long. So I don't know. I don't know if we would have well, had that fun time watching it. We'll get Might have it. been interesting. I, you know, what I always think about when I think about the Four Seasons is the time I went to the Piaf Fair. And Frankie Valley was there. Uh, but I wasn't watching him, but like off in the distance. I was like way far away from the like little stadium where they like the, the bands play i could hear like uh-huh. his his falsetto carrying echoing across the fairgrounds <laughs> i could just hear Big girls don't cry for like my mi- like miles away 
And that's what I think about. It's Frankie Valley's voice yeah. echoing over the fairgrounds. And I was like, fuck, I wish I was over there. It also would have been a nice kind of reversal because that's like a jukebox musical about a band that I think you know better than I do. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know the them quite well. Abs- yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't count it out for coming back to it. I wouldn't be opposed yeah. if we ever want to. Uh, Never know. We'll see where we're at after uh, Criterion Month, like when we come back and what kind of headspace we're in. And <laughs> maybe Frank, we'll maybe Frankie Valley will die and we'll have to do a tribute. Well, we're yeah. guaranteed when he dies, we're doing the, uh, this movie. <laughs> I guess. He's yeah. 89 years old. <laughs> Any day now. Mm-hmm. Just turned 89. Sour note to end the season on. <laughs> Frankie Valley, his days are numbered. <laughs> Uh, he 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 was still performing, you know. When I that was like less than maybe a decade ago, actually. I don't know, but hey, he's still doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, good for him. Yeah. So we'll we'll get back to that. Um, but until then, you know, you can check out other episodes anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search mildly pleased or go to our website mildly pleased. Um, and we'll join you next time for uh, the Criterion Graft. And thanks for uh, taking a chance on this podcast. Used to be so good.